Hi, folks. Welcome back to Green Planet, Blue Planet podcast, featuring distinctly qualified global change makers that are dedicated to creating a healthier planet, one where diversity is lived, expressed, and celebrated. My name is Julian Guderlei. I'm committed to a world that allows people from all walks of life to thrive. And in today's episode, my guest is Bertrand Picard. Bertrand is the Swiss explorer, adventurer, solar plane pilot, and climate activist. Since his historic flight in 2015, he and his foundation have gathered and certified a portfolio of 1,000 solutions that can be deployed now to combat climate change profitably. And so these technologies and services have been developed by large companies and startups alike, including big players such as Engie, Air Liquid, Nestle, and also a whole area of global startups. The plan for Bertrand is to take this list to world and regional leaders, CEOs, uh, this year actually, to provide them with an easy to deploy set of money-making technologies that meets business where it is now with few adaptations required. And so I'm excited for this conversation. I'm excited for Bertrand, your, your stories and also your insights into what can make this, this planet an even better planet. Welcome. Thank you, Julian. And what you said, is a wonderful summary. I don't know what's left to explain. You said it all. <laughs> yeah, no. I hope we can we can dive we can dive in a, a bit a bit deeper. Um, let's let maybe start uh, just 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 with you and 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 your story before we go into the thousand solutions that you know you're um, you're you're gathering and, and you're pioneering. I'd, I'd love to hear you know, about your adventures, because that's what you're known for. That's what you're famous for. That's where you, what you've, you've, you know, showcased and talked about in, in the entire world. And so for people that are getting to know you, maybe, um, maybe there's a good, good place to start with, you know, solar planes or, or balloons fl flying up high around the world. Yes, you know, I'm an explorer of the inner world as a psychiatrist and a medical doctor and of the outer world with the balloon I use to fly nonstop around the world with solar impulse to fly without fuel around the world. I think I'm curious. I love to discover new ways of thinking, new ways of doing. So in that sense, everything that is new is attracting me. And since my young age, I've been in contact with explorers with astronauts. I met Charles Lindbergh. I met the early American astronauts. My father and my grandfather who conquered the high and the depth of our planet were of course inspirations for me. So each time there was something that had never been done, I was interested to, to try and doing it. So when I was 16 years old, it was about hang gliding. It was about ultralight flying. And later on, it was about ballooning. Flying around the world nonstop in a balloon had never been done, so I tried and succeeded. Flying around the world on solar power had never been done, and I thought it was a really useful demonstration to show what clean technologies and renewable energies could achieve when everybody thought it was impossible. I, I love when people tell me it's impossible because it's a challenge. It allows to bring a team together to invent, to innovate, so, of course, I think protection of the environment is exactly the same. We have to invent new ways to do. We have to explore new ways to think. We shouldn't stay on the old belief that protection of the environment is difficult, is boring, is expensive. 
No, not at all. We have to show that protection of the environment is the most fantastic adventure of all, that it can be exciting for the population, that it can be profitable for big companies, that it can be a wonderful opportunities for politicians. So I have a vision of life, basically, where you have to be curious, where you have to be perseverant, where you have to be uh, respectful, and uh, that solutions are more important than problems. Basically, that's, that is what is motivating me. <laughs> Beautifully put. Yeah, solutions over problems. There's something you said right at the beginning uh, about, you know, uh, being a psychiatrist and, and, and being an adventurer and explorer on the inner verse or the inner world and the same in the outer verse or the universe or the, the adventure in the world, right? So um, the, the parallel I'm hearing there is, you know, that, that goes to the way we relate with nature. That goes to the, the way we relate with the imprint we leave. It's it, understanding that we are an integral part of this planet that we're wanting to protect. It's like, we're not just protecting this thing outside so we can have more adventures, but we're actually learning to live in symbiosis with it. Yes. Can I ask, like, are those things that are like, uh, like do they come to mind as you're, you know, so soaring up high over the clouds because you're so in, in such a peak performance experience or is, 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 that, is that more like your philosophy that's underlying all you do? You're absolutely right. You, you know, when I was flying, with Brightling Orbiter Balloon, when I was flying with Solar Impulse, I was thinking human being is part of this nature. And it's magical to see life on this planet, to see this miracle of having a planet with life, with trees, with animals, with human beings, when you see all the other planets around in the cosmos that seem to be quite dry <laughs> and uh, without any life, without any color. So, so it's wonderful. And in that sense, it's true. It gives a feeling of belonging to, to, to the universe, but mainly be belonging to, to nature. But nevertheless, this is not enough to protect the environment. It's enough for the people who have this experience To, to love nature and to love life. But when you come back from these adventures, who do you see? You see politicians, you see uh, industries, you see the economy of the world, you see all these decision makers who have not made this mm -hmm. philosophical or spiritual experience. And what is their language? Their language is about drug creation, it's about the economy, it's about profitability, it's about being able to, to pay all the salaries at the end of the month and have a, an industry that can survive. So when we speak of protection of the environment to these people, they will answer maybe in a very pragmatic way that they have to make their industry survive. And maybe this is their priority more than the protection of the environment. So you, you have to harmonize the spiritual experience you do when you see the beauty of nature with the need of these people to have their industry sustainable, to create their, the jobs that will allow also humankind to, 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 to live. So you have very pragmatic down to earth worries and you have wonderful spiritual experience 
and both are part of the equation. Mm. Uh, and it taught me to, to be spiritual when it's needed to be spiritual because you are speaking with people who have this insight of the beauty of nature, but also to be very down to earth with the key decision makers because you have to also to convince them to, to be environmental friendly. And this is why I came up with this idea and this project, and now it's a success, of identifying 1,000 solutions to protect the environment that are at the same time also profitable in order for the decision makers to make, to make them theirs and to use them and to implement them. Right on. I, I, really, I really enjoy what you're saying there about the, you know, the bridge between the esoteric and the pragmatic or the this spiritual and the down to earth. And so those pragmatic steps, let's, let's talk about them. There's, there's thousand solutions now, right? This is the key word is we don't have to wait till 2050 and make kind of some kind of agreements that we will one day get there, but there's so much to do right now where, you know, um, no matter which language we speak, if it is a very pragmatic or political language, or if it is a, you know, a very understanding philosophical, spiritual language, we, we understand action and pragmatic integration right now is important. So maybe, uh, Bertrand, maybe we can just walk through a few examples. Like what are some of the, you know, uh, whatever comes to mind for you, some of your, your favorites or some of the successes that are already out there that, that you'd love to share with the listeners today um, that are part of these th thousand solutions? Yes, I can give you so many because it's coming out of the creativity of innovators, startups or big companies, but it's always people who, who invents a way to do something more efficient, more, I would say even more logical, because you have to understand that in the past decades, uh, humankind has lived as if there was illimited resources. And suddenly we understand that it's not the case. Well, it's logical that it's not the case, but people start to understand that in their, in their business. So you have, for example, um, a way to recover the methane from the landfills. The landfills, they emit methane every day, every hour, every second, every, uh, or always, you know, day and night. And methane is 28 times more dangerous for climate change than CO2. So this company is recovering the methane and turning it into energy. So they do something good for the environment and it's a business opportunity. You have another company who re recovers the, the heat that would be lost from the chimney of the factory, stores it and injects it back into the energy system of the factory. So you stop wasting heat. But can you imagine that for a century, the factories, they have just lost the heat through the chimney. And now somebody mm -hmm. says, I can recover it and make a business to help the factory to be more sustainable and more efficient. Just clever. <laughs> There's a way to uh, install a system on the thermal engine in the car that reduces 80% of the toxical emissions of particles and 20% of the fuel consumption. It makes a good transition period between the very dirty thermal engines we have today and the moment where we'll have 
uh, electric mobility. And uh, during that time, there will still be 2 billion cars that have to be cleaner. So that's a, a way for them to do it. Uh, there's a, a company specialized in oil drilling, oil exploration, who has diversified with a spin-off to produce geothermia for heat pumps in the center of the cities. Until then, nobody knew how to put heat pump in the center of cities. Now you can do it. You have ways to turn plastic into fuel, to turn waste into plastic. You have ways uh, to have uh, more sustainable containers for transport, uh, to have uh, a software that saves the fuel for airplanes. You, you have uh, things to detect the, the leaks uh, in the cities where you lose water. So every time you see these new technologies which save natural resources, which allow to be more efficient, to allow circular economy, to do something good with the waste. Uh, it's, you know, for me, it is wonderful mm -hmm. to see all this progress, all these innovators who have inventors, invented ways to be at the same time more environmental friendly and more profitable for the industry because it is inclusive. The, the, the industries that were the most polluting can actually participate to the energy transition, to the ecological transition, because it becomes a business opportunity for them. It allows them to save money and at the same time to protect the environment. So I, I'm very, very enthusiastic. And uh, it was not the case when I started this challenge, you know, identifying a thousand of these solutions, people told me it's impossible. You are crazy. How can That's you- That's the word again. <laughs> you never find enough. Yeah. And, and when people tell me something is impossible, I love it. I love it. It allows me to bring very clever people in the team, people who love to be challenged, people who love to do difficult things. So the team is much better when you have an easy goal, you have just lazy people with you, but you have talented people for difficult goals. And the more and more we were going on in the four last years, uh, I was thinking maybe we will succeed. And uh, early April, 2021, we succeeded. So it was great. Yeah, that is really exciting. And I feel your enthusiasm. I, I want to, I you know, double tap on that and ask about enthusiasm and optimism because, you know, you, you said you're an explorer, an adventurer. And so there needs to be maybe even like an unhealthy, like very positive amount of optimism, I believe, in, in that kind of adventure explorer soul, right? That's like, no matter what, I'm going to be optimistic. I know that, you know, some people think it's impossible. I'll prove them wrong. So how did that optimism um, show up for you while you were looking for these thousand solutions? Um, because truly, and you already said a part of it, right? This world has been held in a state of doom and gloom through media and narratives around climate change, which I don't believe they're true. I've been on a very similar journey as you are with, with you know, finding people like yourself who are sharing this optimistic message. And so I wanna, I wanna hear that from, from your perspective, like how has your optimis, optimism like been affected um, by all of this? I would not like the word optimist to be understood as being naive. 
because sometimes you know you have people who are naive they they just think that the impossible is possible and they try and by chance they succeed or they fail uh, on my side it's not really like this on my side Got it's it, more yeah. about willing to try something uh, i don't know in advance if i will succeed or not uh, but I know that if I don't try, I will never succeed. So basically, I'm not afraid of failing. And I learned that sometimes you can fail dramatically. Okay, you fail and, and, and so what? It's not fun to fail. I agree. That's huge though, right? But That's you know, like life lesson number one. <laughs> yeah, but I prefer to fail than to be afraid of trying. So with my balloon, with Breitling Orbiter around the world, I failed twice before being the first to fly around the world nonstop in a balloon. And with Solar Impulse, there were really difficult moments. There's a moment where we broke the main spar of the wing uh, when we made a test. And it was a year to calculate it and a year to build it. Okay, what did we do? We can sit down and cry but it's not our style. So what did we do? We took the first prototype of Solar Impulse and we crossed the United States uh, during the time that the engineers were building the, rebuilding the wing of the second plane. So every time you need to take the difficulty as a learning, you need to take the crisis as, a, as an opportunity to discover new tools that will allow you to be, to be better after the crisis than before. So for the thousand solutions, it, it was the same. I was telling everybody since a long time, protection of the environment needs to become attractive also for the industry and for the economy. Mm. And I wanted to prove it. I wanted to prove it. And I said, let's try to prove it. If we cannot prove it, okay, too bad. But if we can prove it, if we succeed, it's a fantastic step ahead. And uh, during four years, there was some suspense because you know, we were saying, 1,000 solutions, 1,000 solutions, 1,000 solutions. It was just like an abstractual number. And suddenly, when we got solution number 1,000, it was not an abstractual number. It was 1,000 times one solution. And each time behind, it was a company, a human being, an inventor, an innovator, and some of them were coming to me with tears in their eyes, telling me, thanks to the Solar Impulse Foundation and thanks to you, now we exist. Now we have people who know what we do. And it's the beginning of our, of our life for us. Mm -hmm. And it was really touching, really touching. It was human stories put end to end and making this thread of a thousand solutions. And now we have them. And now we can move ahead. As we say, we, we can take it further. And taking it further, that's to bring all these solutions to heads of states or big corporations so they can use them. They can have the tools to reach their environmental target and pledges. Yeah, that's really beautiful. And I, there's two things that stood out to me. Like, number one, optimism does not mean na naivety. And I, I'm, I'm with you there, like, you know, doubling down on that. Um, and then the second thing is that when we face discomfort and uncomfortable situations, that's when we really 
um, allow ourselves to, to truly succeed, to truly propel, right? So any discomfort or uncomfortable situation, if that's as an individual, or if that is in the moment like an exploration with a balloon around the world, or if that is as a collective about rising water tables or you know, increasing plastic pollution, what, whatever we wanna focus on for any moment, that's the real challenge that can ultimately then turn into an opportunity for yeah, collective action, for collaboration, for solutions, for, I guess this is what we're setting ourselves up for as humans. Maybe you wanna comment on that. This, it's, this is part of our um, becoming mature, aware beings, I would say, is that we've, we create these problems for ourselves. So we, we, we check in with ourselves are we ready to, to live on planet earth truly? Or are we just here to be a parasite for a few thousand years? Huh. It's very well said. It's true that in the beginning, humankind was in harmony with nature. And then more and more human beings became a parasite for, for nature. And the Nietzsche, the Frederick Nietzsche, the, 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 the writer said once, um, the earth has a skin and this skin has a sickness and the sickness is called human being <laughs> uh, and, 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 and really it has become a sickness for the earth all mm. these humans destroying nature and what we don't understand enough is that we arm ourselves when we do that because even if there is a huge ecological disaster the earth will survive, but we won't. We won't. If we arm nature, we will suffer. And what we are doing is preparing ourselves a disastrous quality of life with climate change, with pollution, with tropical disease coming in the uh, cold countries, with millions of people who have to flee from the... Uh, uh, natural disasters and, and so on. And, and a lot of people don't care because they don't care about others. They don't care about the future. They care about themselves today, trying to make the biggest profit with the most polluting technologies. And what all this makes me think is that all these problems with climate change is also a lesson to learn to be more compassionate, to be more compassionate about others, uh, understand that the next generations will have a miserable quality of life if we continue to be so selfish. So you have people who can understand that and they can start to, to change. I, I heard about uh, a CEO of a big company and he was explaining in a speech my children came to me and said, Daddy, what are you doing for the planet? Because we don't want you to destroy it. And that was the trigger to change something in his company. But you also have people who don't care about being selfish and being uh, psychopathic and destroying everything. And these people have to be uh, brought by regulations uh, to an acceptable behavior. This we also have to understand. The regulation today are needed to, con to, to, yeah, to bring the, the selfish people to a more acceptable behavior. Hmm. 
Yeah, this is we're right on the topic, right? This this is really gold. Uh, you know, I, I feel there's there's an overlay in in many disciplines of life, and and maybe to bring this back full circle about something we said at the beginning, that's also where the more esoteric or spiritual or philosophical aspect really comes to carry, because all of the religions no matter which one um, people are a personal fan or follower of, have this, this value of compassion, have this value of caring in it. And caring, you know, you could say is like a, a superpower of the human being. Because when we care, then we know how to collaborate. And when we collaborate, boom, we're, we're on fire. We're unstoppable. We're one with nature. We're one with each other. Anything becomes possible, right? And so... Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure about regulations or common sense or how to move out of, you know, sociopathic behavior that we, 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 we call economy. But I'm with you on that. There is, it, it's very visible at this point and it, it needs continued boundaries. I'm not sure if, if nation states are the right way to do it because under, you know, na na nations itself, there's so much of that kind of, um, yeah, people, I feel like there's we, we're lost when we look at a leader to tell us what to do. And when we care for each other, we're, we're finding ourselves again. We're finding each other again. We're finding the infinite possibility again. And so that might be the true crux of our time, right? Is how, how can we untie that so that we, in my words, we can create a green planet, a blue planet that is, that is like harmonic, you know, or in, 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 in your words, we we're living um, in a world where, there's all the solutions pragmatically integrated to all of the challenges we're facing. I think that compassion and respect and empathy and kindness are spiritual values that people can develop if they have the opportunity in, the, in their life to make these spiritual experiences. But you have people who don't have these spiritual experiences and people who can arm humankind very much with selfish, selfish decisions, with violence, wars, pollution, uh, exploitation of other people, harassment and, and things like that. And you can have the biggest spiritual values, but if other people are destroying the future of humankind, we have to react. And I think one way to react is, of course, when you have children going in the street and say, we have to protect the climate, that is one way to do. Uh, the other way to do is in democracy uh, to install a legal framework that prevents some people to, to be too negative and to destroy other people. Uh, this is also something we have to, to, to integrate. And there is, you know, there is, one philosophy, now we don't call it really a religion, but a philosophy, it was a religion uh, 5,000 years ago, it's the Taoism. Uh, Taoism, this old Chinese philosophy, I think is really interesting because in Taoism, it is explained that for creation, uh, you have a duality, you have everything dual. You have good and bad, you have black and white, you have height and low, you have left and right, you have cold and warm, you have violence and peace, you have a compassion and selfishness. Well, you have all this in the world. This is the result of creation. And if you 
want to improve the quality of life and uh, pursue your spiritual evolution, you have to try to reconcile the extremes. Instead of having everything dual, to try to bring everything into a unicity. And uh, we see this very well today. We need to reconcile the extremes, reconcile ecology and economy, reconcile the needs of today with the needs of tomorrow, reconcile the hope of the youth with what the, with the experience of, of the elderly. Uh, you have to reconcile a lot of things in order to be able to, to live in harmony and peace on this planet. Beautifully put. Yeah, we're definitely in a big phase of reconciliation in so many ways. I find it curious that you can't spell economy without the word eco. And so the word eco in economy is, you know, referring to the whole that we are. And so um, one, one of the things that's in my mind a lot, and I'm really enjoying this conversation about you know, these, these different steps of pragmatic integrations and also the, the, the philosophy behind it is that law and regulations want to be based on natural law, right? The, um, the organic intelligence that is present on this planet because you, you've experienced it, right? And some people are fortunate enough to experience it. We're, we're floating around a sun that is floating around a black hole that we know very little about. So there's an organic intelligence on this planet that, let's put it this way, no, no nation state, no big business leader uh, is doing anything for that to happen. The, the sun in our perspective rises every day. And, and so when we, when we model uh, our business, when we model our economy, when we model our law based on biomimicry and uh, the sacred geometry of life, um, I think there's 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 a whole new world possible, and that what you just described—the world of, of peace, of connection, of collaboration, of um, you know Taoist and of integration. You are absolutely right to speak about the Earth moving in the cosmos because everything is organized in a very beautiful architecture, very beautiful equilibrium, but it seems to be also quite fragile. We can destroy it. You know, when you see everything on this planet that collaborates to keep harmony, balance, and, uh, and, and everything working together, but it's even, you know, the whales diving in the ocean, going to the depth that makes the water circulate makes the oxygen and the CO2 go deeper, the CO2 to be absorbed, the oxygen to feed other living animals. You, it's important to be aware that if we break one piece of this entire chain, the entire balance can be broken. And today human beings are not aware of this. Human beings are destroying this balance are making, uh, uh, are not just, they, they are not aware enough that this architecture is beautiful, but it is fragile and that we can really damage it. 
Yeah, you know, this is fascinating to me because it's it's so visible in the way you're wording um, what, what you just expressed. And what's visible to me is that our true state of intelligence is when we're in connection to these ecological principles. And a lower state of intelligence is when we're simply dominating through power. But we haven't really, as a collective, um, insisted on that quite yet. I do believe a lot of people know this and get this, you know, and a lot of people really truly feel that. But our systems are still lagging behind. They, they reward power and greed over the true intelligence, which is the organic intelligence. And so um, part of the thousand solutions that, that you're pioneering is also to, to bring these tools to uh, systems of kind of greed and control, right? Because when the systems of greed and control change, into systems that are supportive of this natural intelligence, then suddenly um, peace and collaboration are, they're just a, a consequence. Yes, because human nature could be wonderful, but it is not always wonderful. I don't think that everybody has arrived to the state of spiritual en enlightenment. You still have a lot of people who are not at all in this spiritual path. And, uh, and, and sometimes you hear a lot of wishful thinking. Mm -hmm. You hear the people who want to protect the environment who say, oh, we need human beings to be nicer, human beings to be more compassionate. It would be wonderful if everybody was respectful to nature. But it is not the case. And I, I know how important it is to bring the spiritual values to everyone, but I also know that we cannot have wishful thinking. We cannot believe that every human being is a perfect human being. There are also some really nasty people. There are also some really selfish people. And this is why we have to find the tools that speak to everyone. And mm -hmm. this is really what I wanted to do with the 1000 solutions. There are solutions who are protecting the environment and at the same time they are giving enough to the people who look more for money, who look more for personal interest, mm -hmm. or also for people who are like politicians who know that they will not be re-elected if they don't create jobs. If they don't create jobs, if they have unemployment, they will not be re-elected. So here it can be a win-win. You bring solutions that are economically viable, they allow the industry to make profit. They allow the governments to create jobs. And at the same time, they are cleaner, more efficient. They protect the environment. And here it's a bit of a Taoist uh, fulfillment where you reconcile all the extremes in a situation that is win-win, that is very practical, very concrete, sometimes down to earth, and that is avoiding the wishful thinking of saying, Oh, we need a beautiful world where everybody is nice. <laughs> mm -hmm. Oh, fully put. Well, you know, I wanna, I wanna get maybe another story or two out of you now because I know you've experienced a lot, and that is, you know, that's such a delight to be in the same space uh, and you know to be listening in for people. So, you know, flying over the earth in multiple different attempts in in different vessels. Um, what were some of the the memorable places to see in flight, you know, places on the earth that flying over them, 
or maybe even the circumstance of being in a balloon that is like difficult to maneuver um, that, that were just like, that are just engraved in your memory as, as some places of planet earth that are just dear to your heart and, and you feel connected to. Ah, uh, yes. Here I can speak for hours. <laughs> <laughs> you bet. know, with, with breaking a bit too, this is when I failed around the world and I had to land in Myanmar. But there were oh, wow. four days that were absolutely beautiful. We knew that we couldn't find the... Well, we knew we couldn't succeed because we had no permission to fly across China where the high winds and fast winds were going. So we tried to go around China. And I spent three days over India flying 1,000 feet above the ground. Very, very low. Very low. And there were children that were saying hello, waving at us, screaming. Some of them were running in the, in the fields to try to follow the balloon. And uh, there was the shadow of the balloon that was moving across the fields where people were working. And suddenly they had the shadow, so they, they turned and, and looked and started to, to see this balloon and started to wave and I could answer to them. It was incredible. Absolutely incredible. And then we had the, the delta of the Gang Ganges River. And that was with the moonlight, very, very low level, across this delta where we have the big river that becomes very, very tiny rivers around some islands and finally getting to the sea. And that was completely magical in the middle of the, of, of the night. That, that was absolutely fantastic. And there was another moment, but this time was with Solar Impulse, when I crossed the Atlantic, taking off from New York, heading for Europe. And it was what was called the Strawberry Moon. The mm. Strawberry Moon arrives about once every 65 years. It is when you have the full moon, the same day than the solstice of summer. 21st of June, longest day in the year, and the full moon continuing with the brightest light through the night. And this moon is, is red. And I had this moon showing me the way to Europe with a silver trace wow. or trail on the ocean. And I just had to follow this trail with my solar powered airplane. That, that was absolutely magical. Stunning. Wow, we're there with you for, for a few seconds. And that is in a solar airplane that at nighttime, you're probably just, you know, can't wait to get the sunshine back. <laughs> yes, because you fly with the batteries that the sun has loaded during the day flight. Yeah. And then you are in the night and you fly with the batteries. But of course, you need to be very, very careful not to waste your energy and still have something in the battery when the sun rise is coming so you can continue the flight for the next day and then the next night and then the next day and you know you can fly almost perpetually just with solar energy so the this experience is is wonderful you know you you take off and you know that you can fly almost forever mm. wow that that, that one sink in you know, it's exactly the symbol <laughs> what we have to do to be sustainable in yes. our world. Yes. We need to go through the night 
saving our energy, mm-hmm. being efficient in order to reach the next sunrise. Mm-hmm. And it's the same thing for our generation. We need to be careful, to be respectful for natural resources in order to reach the next generation that will continue. Mm. Powerfully stated. Well, that's quite the picture. The, 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 the solar the solar pl- airplane, the night into the day, and then the infinite flight, because as long as there's the atmosphere that the sunlight is breaking into, you can fuel by the sunlight. And you know why the aviation industry thought it was impossible to fly around the world in a solar airplane? They told me it takes two minutes to calculate that the sun is not giving enough energy for an airplane to fly day and night. And this is the way people usually think produce more. If there is not enough, you have to produce more. And if the sun cannot produce more, then you cannot do it. Well, we took the other paradigm, completely the opposite. And we said, if the sun doesn't give enough energy for an airplane, we will build a new airplane that can cope with the energy the sun is giving. So we worked to have this airplane that was so efficient. And this is why it was 72 meters in wingspan. That means 236 feet. It was the weight of a family car for wings that were bigger than the jumbo jet. Mm-hmm. And we had the power like a scooter. And this allowed us to fly around the world. So instead of producing more, we were just consuming less. Yeah, this is great. This is so great. I have two more questions for you. Uh, but uh, and, and one of them takes us, well, both of them take us into, into the generations because you mentioned future generations and going through the night of, of this current kind of dying paradigm and, and birthing the, the, the new paradigm, not just in projects and solutions, but for the entire planet, right? And so my first question in this context is, if you could single-handedly or with a team of experts change the education system and the education system at large, and I know that we could talk about this for hours, but what would be like a few things you would do? I would teach the children to be interested not only by what is scientifically proven, statistically reproducible, like we tend to learn normally. And I would teach them to be curious and to try to study what is not yet understandable, what is not explained, what is not scientifically proven. Because if you do that, you bring the children into the question marks into the doubts, into the unknown, and you, do, you teach them to be pioneers and to be explorers instead of just being robots who reproduce what they have learned. Bring the, the, the children to the question marks. That, that's a quotable to me because that's it, right? When we ask questions that we don't know the answers to, then life and the intelligence of life is orchestrating in our favor to experience the answers to those questions. And if they're not experienceable, then we'll experience that this is a limit. But, but yeah, that's a big one. That's a big one. And I was lucky enough to have this type of, ex- of education mm-hmm. uh, where I was allowed to ask all the questions. Mm-hmm. And my parents never told me, stop asking questions or uh, do, do like this because uh, it has to be done like this uh, or it's not for your age. Not at all. They always answered or tried to answer. And sometimes they were telling me, we don't know. 
Mm-hmm. It's a fantastic gift that the parents can tell to the yeah. children. We don't know. What does it mean? It means maybe you will find out. Yes. There's so many things to explore and to understand. So you, you will have your life to, to understand things that we don't know today. And, and this is fan, fantastic. It is such a stimulation. Yeah, very exciting. I'm, I'm, I'm very much with you on that. I think the answer, we don't know or I don't know, is something that the, the, the outdated education system teaches us to be ashamed of. And yes. in reality, when we don't know, that's a gift because that means either ourselves or someone else will get to find out. <laughs> so much more to understand. Yes. So my last question is, is a, a bit more philosophical in nature. And, and it's, it's what actually got me to start this podcast. And that is the question of your, your dream, your vision, the, the, the dream or the vision that's in your heart space for the seven generations into the future. So if we're imagining for a second here, we are ancestors of seven generations to come into the future. We know this scientifically, biologically through the science of epigenetics. And this is also and happens to be the, the, the connection all of the indigenous people across the world have, um, you know, held in their intent in their way of living connected to the ecosystem. And so, but for you, like what's the dream that lives inside of you for this planet, for our species, for the next seven generations? The dream is that humankind can progress on the path of spiritual kindness, wisdom, compassion, respect, all these values that are associated with a more thin quality of energy. You know, this is for me, the spiritual evolution is when you have access to to this more subtle energy that allows you to avoid the material low vibrations of hate, violence, revenge, selfishness, no, and, and it's a choice. You can go on these low vibrations, going into hate and violence, or you can go into these thin vibrations of energy that are about wisdom, kindness, respect, compassion. And my dream is that humankind, or let's say as many people as possible, will take the decision, will choose to go for this high quality of energy, wisdom, and respect, and compassion. Beautiful. May it be so. <clears throat> what a great time and a uh, pleasure to, to have you on the show and to interview you. Um, is there anything else you'd love to share? Any, any call to action? Anything you'd love to, uh, you know, bring, bring our attention to before we wrap this episode? Yes, maybe to, to live our life as explorers and pioneers we need to understand that what we have learned was maybe good for before, but it doesn't mean that it will be good for the future. So mm. each time we have to take a decision, each time we have to answer to a question, I think it is good to stop a couple of seconds and to say, in the past, I would have said that, or I would have done that, but maybe now I can think differently. What would my life become if I give another answer, if I do another action, if I am not just reproducing what I have learned before, 
But if I try to connect to my intuition and imagine something completely different, and this is a fantastic freedom. It's the freedom to think in every direction. It's the freedom to do things we have never done before. It's the freedom to be much more authentical, much more intuitive, instead of being an automat who reproduces all the time exactly the same patterns. Wow. Yes, that's the invitation. Thank you so much, Bertrand, for, for all of the work you do in the world, for your pioneering spirit, for being that adventurer that is following his intuition, that never stops asking questions, that is just, you know, lit up by what is possible. And um, yeah, thank you for being on the show. Thank you, Julian. It was great. I could dream with you. I could fly again around the world a couple of times telling my experience. And more than that, was possible to speak about the the meaning of life and maybe what people can can learn and what is worth being lived on this planet so thank you very much julian i really enjoyed it thank you